Well, saints, let's continue that worship as we now turn to the Word. So good to, to sing. Now let's do so in the Word and grab your copy of God's Word and turn to Romans chapter 5. We continue in there and we'll be in there at least one more week next week. Rich, rich chapter of God's Word, Romans chapter 5. We'll be picking it up in the back half of that chapter. That's where our study has been. And last week, remember, as we opened, we looked at the two most important figures in human history. You recall that. That was our study. Two figures we would submit the most important humanity has ever seen. Two men who represent two very different humanity groups in all of history. Adam... And Jesus. Last week, most, and we would say if not all of our time, was focused on Adam. You remember, the head, the representative of humanity originally, and the humanity of death. Called that because of where Adam's humanity leads ultimately, to death. And Adam's humanity is not something we can bypass naturally. We can't say, I don't like that. I can bypass that humanity on my own or naturally. We can't. All human beings are naturally born into his humanity from birth to start. No choice of your own. More, that reality has consequences because Adam sinned. And as we said last week, his sin specifically was not benign. Adam's sin in the garden in the beginning was not an isolated Adam thing. Recall we were reminded that sin is never isolated. Sin always has effects. We'll continue to be reminded of that in this chapter. And Adam's sin was most consequential to us because we were in Adam. Yes, in Adam, in that garden, as Adam stood, not just as a man, but Adam stood as mankind. We stood in him, in his DNA, if you will, in seed form, in his very body, all of us to be birthed at a future time. Recall, that's Paul's point. Look at verse 12 as we recap. This is Paul's very point in these verses. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, so it came in through Adam and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. And so we're clear, this is a sin that all humanity has, represented by Adam. He says this, For sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. In other words, it wasn't because of practical sin that we all died. Sin is in the world because of Adam, yet death reigned, verse 14, from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And of course, we looked at all that last week. And the key there, from Adam to Moses, there was death. This is Paul's point. And why was there death? There was death directly because of Adam. Because of Adam. They died, those from Adam to Moses, they died because they were already bound to die because of Adam's sin. They died because sin and its consequences, remember, death, were already in the world. That's why they died. They died because they sinned in practice, that is for sure, but more so at the top of that fountainhead, they sinned in Adam. That's why they died. They died as the rest of Adam's humanity who was in him would go on to do, to die, inheriting death. 
Because they, and of course now we, inherited the guilt of Adam and faced sin's consequences. That's why. That's what we studied last week. That was death's reign from Adam to Moses, spread to all humanity to follow the humanity again of death. Now saying that, we must never grow tired of pointing this out and this reality that this is our natural state. But this too, it does not mean, Christian, this is our ultimate state or our final state. We must always remember this. Adam, remember, verse 14, was a type of the one who was to come. The one to come who, of course, was the other representative human figure we introduced last week. And you know him, Jesus Christ, the other man, the God-man. His humanity, and we remember, referred to it as the humanity of life, we merely mentioned last week in closing, briefly. Today, however, Paul moves by way of transition to Christ's humanity of life and places it right beside in contrast to the humanity of death as he's just covered. And this is an apt contrast because these two humanities have a very similar structure. They sit on scaffolding that looks the same. Both humanity groups, both with heads, both with one act having effects for all. Same mechanism. Structurally, the headship of Adam and the headship of Christ, again, practically outwork the same. For both groups, membership means you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. For both groups, membership means you have a head and a representative. However, while their representations are similar, and you know this, their actions and results are not. That's where the differences end drastically. And the point of the following verses now, as we turn to 15, 16, and 17, is to drive those differences home. That's what Paul is doing here. Sets the differences, and now he's going to drive the difference home. In fact, the differences in Adam's act and Christ's act, in Adam's result and Christ's result, is so vast that Paul is going to take and he's going to need the rest of the chapter to walk us through it. That's how important it is. So let's then consider, let's just pick up as we continue to consider all these verses before us, but let's pick up where we left off in 15, read to the end of the chapter. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we again consider these verses before us, and we ask, as we do each time we open your word, to open our eyes to see what only you can reveal and show us. Let us receive it, and Lord, let it go deep 
and make impact not only in our heart and our mind, but in our lives, we pray. Amen. So look at those verses. Look at the chapter, death and life contrasted. And that's what's in view broadly here. And most specifically, the contrast, again, of death and life. That's the focus as we drill into 15 to 17. Death arrived in Adam. Death reigned in Adam. That's Adam's humanity. Life arrived in Christ. Life reigns in Christ. And this is Christ's humanity. As such, let us now look at the contrast the word lays before us. And our first point, and it's this, it is life's requirement. Life's requirement. Look, find that in verse 15. Let's read it again. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Let's look again now. As we look close. But the free gift is what? Not like the trespass. Here the contrast is presented. Now a free gift is on display and it's not like the trespass. If you were to see this in the original, there's a strong adversative there. A strong but the. But the. Strong adversative. See that along with a couple other textual things we need to point out here. First, look at the term free gift. Free gift is actually one word in the original, and you know it, it's charisma. And it's different to another word. Paul could have used another word in the Greek to use, to say gift, dorima. He could have used that. That word is actually the more plain word for present, like we get presents and things. Paul uses a different word, charisma, and we know that word. It's different, and it's important because... Paul is wanting to point something out about this gift here. It's not just a present per se, not just something given, but something about the present given. Do you see that? And you see it with free there. He uses charisma, which points not just to the gift, but a free gift, an unearned gift. Even more in this word, something, a gift bestowed by God. This gift is a gift of grace. A gift freely and undeservedly bestowed. That's it. That's why he uses this word. Hence, if you have an LSV, the translation is right on. It says, a gracious gift. It's very good. This is a free gift of God. In 1 Corinthians 12, the same word used of the gifts, the charisma. Think of 1 Corinthians 12. The whole point of that chapter is that the Holy Spirit bestows gifts on the church. We don't decide what the gifts are. 1 Corinthians 12 says God arranges the roles and members and so on. Thus, that's the free gift sense set here from God and something undeserved. Set against, in verse 15, something very much man-earned, the trespass. The trespass, by the way, just another sin synonym you'll see in this chapter. Trespass here referring to false step, which is very helpful The contrast then is distinct. Man's false step, God's gracious gift. Contrast very clear. On one hand, the trespass. On the other, the free gift. Now, we know what the trespass is, right? We know that. We looked at it last week. Adam's false step in the beginning. We've been reading through Genesis 3 on our mornings these past two weeks as well. As verse 15 goes on to say, let's look at it. Verse 15, many died through one man's trespass. Now again, Paul covered that. Verses 12 to 14. So we are clear on the death through Adam. 
But now, as we move to the contrast, as the text takes us there, what of the free gift? What of the gracious gift? Well, for one, let's look. The verse signals that whatever this free gift is, look at the words, key expression. We've seen it before. It is much more. It is much more. We saw that in verse 10, this contrast, much more than the trespass. Whatever it is, it's much more. It's quality. As Paul contrasts the trespass and the gracious gift, he does so by degree. He wants us to see this contrast. In other words, the trespass was awful. It brought death, and that is something. Yet, don't miss this, Paul says, in light of death, there's something much more. That should immediately get our attention. You would say, what's much more than death? Everyone looking to avoid death these days, right? It should immediately get our attention and say, well, what is much more than death? Something is vastly more than death through sin, death through Adam. Hear that, Westmount. Something is much more than death. And I reckon, as I certainly do need to hear this, maybe you need to be reminded of this today. Something, beloved, something is greater. Something, saints, is much more than death. Much more than sin, much more than strife, much more than decay, much more than death. Those are not the final word for a much more humanity. You would say, well, what is much more than the trespass? What's much more than death? Well, the rest of the verse tells us. The free gift's not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, here it is, much more what? Have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Look at that verse. It is not what is much more than the trespass or death. It is who is much more. And the who is the one who was to come, the new Adam, the one man, Jesus Christ. The free gift is not the grace of God itself, or that would be redundant, The free gift, look at the verse, is the grace of God, the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. The gracious gift is the grace of Christ himself. Grace, which we've studied many times previously, is unmerited favor. And here the free gift is the unmerited gift of grace embodied in the Christ. That's the gift. This makes sense. Think back, for Adam it was merely a trespass. For Adam, it was an act. For Adam, it was an original sin in a moment. That was the first Adam's contribution to humanity, an act he did. Not his life, but an act in his life, his transgression. But for the one to come, Christ, it was more than an act, wasn't it? More than an act on the cross. Of course, that was key, as we remembered earlier. But it was the perfect life that led to the cross, Then the taking of that life, as the shepherd did, and and laying it down of his own will. It was the blood shed of that perfect life. And it was the victory over the grave. And then after, and here it is, after, then for humanity, the offer that humanity could repent from Adam's humanity and be found in Christ's humanity. That's the gift. All of that more than an act. That was a complete package of grace given in Christ. As such, the gift of Christ himself. His perfect person, his perfect work. 
Beloved, this is life's requirement. See it. To have life is to have received Christ. To have eternal life requires that you first have Christ, that you are found in him. It means Adam is no longer your head, but Christ is. As such, it means you're joined to the head, you're joined to him, you're part of the body, and you have union with Christ. More church to be in Christ is not just a position of death nullification. Thank, Thank you for that. It's not just that. Look at it. That gift, look at the end of verse 15, was not just given, but it abounded for many. See that? Abounded, if you look at that word there, means to excel over and above. This is better. This is superiority. This is much more abundantly over and above that much more. That is the grace of God found in Christ. Abundant in life's requirement. That's one. Two, it's life's requirement. Three, life's result. Let's continue in verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, the verse says. What the gracious gift, what Christ results in, is not like what Adam's sin results in. Let's keep the the contrast here. The contrast continues as Paul looks at where headship under these two are going to take us. Are going to take us. As such, Paul now turns from the nature of the contrast to the result of it. You see that? He's looked at the nature of the contrast, now he's looking at the result of it. And here we see the results that flow from these two humanities. For Adam, in the humanity of death, the outcome is judgment and condemnation. Do you see that? For Christ, in the humanity of life, the outcome is Christ himself and justification. Look at the words there, judgment and condemnation. Look at them in verse 16. They both are from the same root word, a word that communicates weighing or sentencing. Both from that. Judgment gets at it plainly, and we know that word. Condemnation actually has an intensifier on it. It intensifies the judgment, and it actually points to the penalty. So it's not that just the judgment, it's the penalty with the judgment, which is the condemnation. So the idea here then is that for those in Adam, the results, if he's your head, is a decision rendered. A legal weighing in. If Adam's your head, you have a judgment of death hanging over you. We studied that. That is the consequence, the result following one man, one Adam, his sin. It's judgment. That's the result. Judgment, and see that, that brings condemnation. As sin brought death, judgment brings condemnation. And the condemnation is guilt. The very legal sense here, legally, legal guilt in the heavenly court. This is the inheritance of guilt we talked about last week for all those that are in Adam. They've inherited the guilt of Adam because they were present in Adam in the garden. Remember, when he stood for them as their representative, they thus inherit the guilt of his representative action. They're guilty in Adam then. Now, that's death's result, but that is not life's result. Now, here's, see what Paul is doing in this passage. He doesn't just leave it there. It's not a matter of just death's reign and death's result. Look at this. Life's result. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But, here's the transition. The free gift, the gracious gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
Adam brought guilt. Adam brought condemnation for those in his humanity group. Christ brought clearance. Christ brought pardon. Christ brought justification for those in his humanity group. And think about this. Human beings, you can't lose it on your own. It's not like, well, you know what? I really got to shape up and lose this label that Adam gave me. I'm going to do something about that. You can't. But here's this verse says, the new Adam can and did. Amazing. Justification, by the way, when you think about Christ brought us saints, we've studied at length in Romans, right? And I pray hardly need to say this. This should be fresh and clear in our minds. Justification simply is this right standing before God. The legal sense for sure, but a right standing, the ability to stand clear, pardoned before God. To be justified is to be made right in God's sight. Again, like condemnation, which is the reverse, to, be, to stand wrongly before God, guilty before God, justification is to stand not guilty before God, rightly. This is account cleared, citizen reconciled. Again, picture the gavel slamming down, not guilty before God. This is the reverse of legal standing in Adam. This is legal standing that is guilt-free. But it's a standing not found in Adam. And this is the point. It's only found in Jesus. In Adam, there's no payment for the transgression, no atonement, no being made right. And it's a caution for all of us that want to stay there in Adam. And remember, a life in Adam is just a life in self. There's no atonement found there. In Adam. In Adam. Only a standing in Christ in that position carries with it the declaration of not guilty. Because remember, Adam only brought a trespass, an act. Christ gave a life. An entire perfect life from childhood to the cross to the empty tomb, all of it given. And with Christ and for all those in him, that life, not just the act. Do you see this, beloved? The life is given to you in Christ. That perfect life imputed to each one's account in Christ for a new standing. A new standing with a new declaration that stands opposite to that found in Adam. Each a cosmic heavenly declaration. Listen, that's binary, meaning it's either this or that. Each one of us is only found under one of those heads, under one of those declarations. That's it. There's no middle ground. We either stand condemned today in Adam, as Jesus said in John 3.18. Recall his words there. He said, whoever does not believe is condemned already. That's the position, the default position, all in Adam. We either stand like that, condemned, or we stand justified, made right before God in Christ. As Paul said earlier in this letter, chapter 3, verse 24, Or we stand justified by his grace as a gift. There it is again. Through the redemption that is where? In Christ Jesus. That's it. That's a very different result, is it not? One is the judgment, the condemnation that warrants death. That's one standing. The other result is the gracious gift, the justification that brings with it life. Do you see the the infinite chasm between those two things? Justification in Christ, that is life's result. Now, two things we need to see in this verse before we leave it. Let's look. 
In verse 16, it says, The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Now, again, we don't want to repeat all the things we said, but we want to drill into this aspect. That is one trespass, a little bit of math here. One act impacted all in Adam's humanity group. One for all. One trespass, many condemnations. However, let's keep reading. The verse also says, In contrast to one trespass, many condemnations, you have one free gift following what? The free gift following many trespasses brought justification. This is many trespasses then, one free gift. I pray this is obvious. This is a reverse transaction, isn't it? It's reversed. Adam's sin had enough power to stain everyone to come after him. But Adam had no power to reverse that, to break the power of sin. However, the one to come, Christ, who came after many trespasses, he and he alone had the power to cancel out all of those that are his, all of the sins of his own. And he didn't do this chasing around each sin with a divine hammer, trying to pound it out, running around in the heavenlies, I got to get this one, oh, I got to get this one, there sprung another sin together. No, By way of one life, perfect in essence and being, perfect in works and action, he canceled and reversed the power of untold number of sins. Adam's first and foremost, but many more. Beloved, one sin condemned the world. Do you see that? One sin condemned the world, but one Savior redeemed it. One head condemned all in his humanity group, but one head justified all in his. Charles Cranfield, commenting on this reality, says this, I quote, that one single misdeed should be answered by judgment. This is perfectly understandable. In other words, we get that legally, right? We get it. But that the accumulated sins and guilt of saints in all ages should be answered by God's free gift. And I love this. He says, this is the miracle of miracles, utterly beyond human comprehension. Amen. That is... That's the gracious gift that is Christ. And that gracious gift that it should cover our many trespasses indeed, as Cranfield says, that's the miracle of miracles. How can this be? Finally, that's one thing. We leave this point with a second thing, and it's the obvious application. This is an obvious application, Westmount. And we say this by way of departing, by way of contrast, from the rain and humanity of death. One final word on it before we really transition to the humanity of life in full as the passage does, but a final word of application. Westmount consider as you look at this text, if one sin has enough power to condemn the world, what of the power of your sin? What of our habit? What of our habit of being light on our sin? What danger do we face if and when we ever stop considering how potent sin is? What happens? Beloved, sin is not powerless. Its power is always, market saints, always greater than we think. And let's let the word testify to that. Through one sin, one act Of stubborn pouting, Cain lost a brother. Genesis 4. Through one sin, one act of thoughtless worship to God, 
Aaron lost two sons, Leviticus 10. Through one sin, one act of doing what God says, not what God says, but doing it his own way, Moses lost what? Entry to the land, Numbers 20. Through one sin, one act of hoarding away the shiny toys of Jericho, Achan lost not just his life, but he caused the whole household of his father Zabdi to perish, Joshua 7. Through one sin, one act of impatience, Saul lost the kingdom, 1 Samuel 13. Through one sin, one act of presuming on his own version of holiness, Uzzah lost his life, 2 Samuel 6. Through one sin, one lazy, lustful stroll on a rooftop with wandering eyes, David not only lost earthly security in his own home, but he lost his entire household as well, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And through one sin, one act of greed, to run after two talents. The text, every time must grab you, to run after two talents. Gehazi, Elisha's servant, lost his health, and he didn't just lose his own health, he lost it for all his descendants, the text says, forever. Second Kings 5, and we could go on. One sin. All of those Old Testament accounts, as we're told in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, listen, written down for our instruction of vivid warning and an example for us, Westmount. That is the reign of sin, the power of sin. But listen, and here it is, and we, as we do this in Romans so often, the bad news and the good news, sin is potent, it has power. The power of sin may be much, but here it is as we transition. Let's grab the hinge now. The power of the gracious gift by Jesus Christ was always, is always, and will always be much more. There's your hope, beloved. No matter what your one sin is, can you hear that today from this text? Christ is much more. Doesn't matter what your one sin is. You touched an ark. You took a stroll. Christ is much more. You have hope. What a joy. This is life's result. Canceled sin, as we sang this morning. Canceled sin. Justification for all those that are in Christ. How can you not sing in joy? One more verse and life point for our consideration this morning. Life's requirement, life's result And life's reign is found in verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, there it is again, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is just so good. Paul returns here to language he last employed in verse 14. Remember, it's the death reigned language. Remember, revealed law was not even needed for the reign of death because death was still felt. It was in through Adam. Well, here in verse 17, Paul says that because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. In other words, death reigned in all that were in him. We're all a product, naturally, of death's reign because of Adam. We all die. And that death is a direct result of Adam's sin. Yes, we die because of our corrupted nature as well. We die because we practice sin, but we die first and foremost because of Adam's sin. But in this passage, we're learning that we die, we die, not only primarily because of what Adam did, but what did we just learn? But the result of what Adam did, 
brought the reign of death. And that reign of death, there's the result. The, the reign of death was spread to all those that were originally in him. And Paul says, in the same way, so it's the language to say, according to the same structure, those now in Christ, and here it is, will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This should make logical sense after all we've studied in this passage. Just like one trespass of Adam brought death to all in his group, so too one gracious gift by Christ brings life to all in his group. Church, Christ and Christ alone brings life. And not just life, but note this, how abundant life reigns. Life reigns, which certainly in one sense points forward to the eschaton, to the end. It contains with it the sense of our resurrection and reign with this Christ. That is true. Paul's going to come back to that later in the letter. That's the promise Christ gives. We'll see that in Romans. But it's also the promise Christ gives to his sheep in Revelation 2. Listen to this. So he gives promises associated with each church of that time. Listen to this one, to Thyatira, to the church. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And then this, verse 27. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Think about what is being promised there, a reign with Christ. Church, that's the reign of life. And not only that, those martyred in the end. Listen to Revelation 20, verse 4. The church is one thing. Listen to this, Revelation verse 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. Now listen to this. What of those in that time martyred, slaughtered for Jesus? They came to life and what? Reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Reigning with Christ, churches, reigning with Christ in the kingdom. It's all over. So that's one sense of the reign of life, but that's not everything. The resurrection sense of reign is one, but that's not all, and it would betray us if we didn't mention the other dimension at work here. There's another sense of life's reign here that is not just limited to life then. This is life, and listen, life everlasting now. And you say, how do you know this? Listen to our head. Listen to our representative saint. Listen to Christ explain it in John seventeen three. He says this, this is eternal life. This is eternal, not just life, eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, if you are in Christ, you're living eternally now because you're in the eternal one. Christian, because of your position in Christ, life reigns now, today, this morning. 11.40 a.m. in you. Life reigns right now in you. If you're in Christ... You say, but my body sure doesn't feel like anything good is reigning in it. My body doesn't feel like this resurrected body you mentioned earlier. Yes, I know. Believe me, I know. However, just because you don't have a glorified body now doesn't mean you do not have ability to act as if you have one now. This is the power of Christ and canceled sin. Listen, brothers and sisters, if and if you are in Christ... You no longer are in Adam and as such subject to the reign of death. 
Yes, that means you will live after you die. You will conquer the grave and so on. Praise God. But it means here and now, today, this morning, you can live in that life. Beloved, it means today, this morning, here and now, life reigns in you. In you. It means because you are in the life giver, Christ, you can here and now. You actually can live as you ought. Before you had Christ, when Adam was your humanity head, it's a futile life, isn't it? Trying to live as you ought. And you can't. But now you can because you're no longer enslaved to live as you naturally would. This, by the way, is the magnificent implication flowing out of this chapter that is Romans 6. You have a new master. It's no longer sin. It's righteousness. And we'll look at that in chapter 6. But let us be clear And just as clear as the verses here, this reign of life has terms. Yes. Look at verse 17. It says, much more will those who, what? Receive. This is not universal reversal here. Paul, with his liberal use of the word many, is not teaching that both groups, Adam and Christ, include all people. And we know that. Adam's humanity group is certainly all people. We know that because the letter's aptly shown that from the very opening chapter. Christ's humanity group, however, is not all people without distinction. It can't be that. Why? As we said before, it is not all people because all people are not going to the same place, are they? Here we see a clear limiter on those that will reign in life. And it's only to those who what? Here's the condition. Those who will reign in life are those who, look at the verse 17, who receive. And you may ask, receive what? Let's look. This is just so rich. I'm going to read this as wooden as possible from the original. The ones receiving the abundance, the grace, the gift, the righteousness. That's a blessed list of receptions, isn't it? Only those receiving those will reign in life, end of verse 17, through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, there's your domain, and you never lose it, and you can't in this passage. Through the one man, Jesus Christ. For those in Christ, look at it, life reigns. Tomorrow, praise God, that's where our hope is found. But today, right now, Christian, if you are in Christ, life reigns in you. And so a recurring, begging question challenges us. It just provokes us, and it won't leave us alone, right? As we leave this text today, justification, new life tomorrow and today, those are not true of all humanity. All people by default are in Adam. You don't need to do anything to be in Adam's humanity group. You just are if he came out of the womb. All people then have their default setting. If you were to look on their back, the default setting on their back is death. But not all people stay there. And this is the point. For those that receive the abundant, gracious gift of righteousness found only in Christ will not just find life. But look at the text. They will reign in it. They will reign in it. Two humanities, two possessions, that's it. And the question in God's word then again and again and again that confronts us, which is your humanity? Which is your humanity? 
which is your possession? What have you received? There are only two possessions and two receptions. Are you an Adam? Have you just merely today received the guilt of Adam? Are you naturally walking around just in Adam with the consequences and results of his sin and that's it? Is your possession in Adam only death? Is that it today? Is that where you're at? Or are you in Christ and all you have is life? Are you in Christ and all you have, not that this is something small, but you will understand this. If you're in Christ, you have the abundance. If you're in Christ today, do you have a gift? And not just a gift, do you have a gracious gift that you and I both know we don't deserve? Do you have that today? Have you been given a gift of the Christ and you know you don't deserve him? Do you more have the righteousness of Christ? The righteousness of Christ, it didn't just cancel sin and pay the debt. But the righteousness of Christ, beloved, do you possess it today to walk out that door and live as you ought? Finally, sin canceled, its power broken, new master, righteousness in Christ. Beloved, this text demands of us to study it rightly and apply it well. Death or life, which is it of you? Or, more accurately, we could say, who is it that reigns in you? Who reigns in you? Let's pray. Lord God, we indeed continue to be confronted with the reality of two humanities. God, we recognize that we deserve the humanity of death, our default position. But Lord, we also recognize you have offered a way out of that humanity by way of the gracious gift by Christ. And God, we pray that we would grab hold of that truth, maybe for the first time, that offer that is free, that we grab it today and live in it. Or maybe we need to be renewed in it, the abundance, the righteousness, the gift, the grace, Lord. Whatever our stead, Lord, we pray that you would meet us there as we consider our possession in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.